watch out for that cough. You know, that could be BL Corona coming towards you in the middle of the night. Welcome back to the Traumedy Podcast. It's Uncle Ken with another episode. As I work overtime, just trying to make ends meet while, while most of the world is on sabbatical slash quarantine, the fire department as well as emergency caregivers, EMTs, doctors, nurses, some police, paramedics, we're all out here on the front lines doing the damn thing, getting it done for, for the sake of humanity. And, um, and, you know, working a few overtime shifts along the way just so that we can pay for our own keep as well as take care of our families, you know. So uh, it's been a little hectic. I don't know if you've seen the news for San Jose, but we have had an extraordinary number of positive cases of coronavirus as well as firefighters that have tested positive and are currently on quarantine. So this is all public knowledge, but we at this point have 13 positive firefighters with the coronavirus. We also have about 80 of us now on quarantine, which leaves the door open and the uh, the vacancies for a bunch of spots. And they're holding a lot of us after our regular shifts are over so that we can fill them. Hence my situation right now, as you see me, or you hear me rather, I'm working over at a different station, just trying to get it done and to uh, make the best of the situation. So I've been trying to do some of the paperwork for the cancer initiative for San Jose. I've been working on PowerPoint for the new recruits that we are going to go ahead and run through the academy, even though they're uh, entering this world in in a breach of terror uh, no, no better time to begin in this field. I feel like you know, fold into it in the midst of chaos, and things will only get better once this gets better. You're, you're, you're going to say, "Hey, I remember when I started my academy. It was during the coronavirus pandemic." So at least you can put a footnote on something. At least you have a, a, a bookmark when your career began. Um, remember, you can find us at traumatypodcast.com, Stitcher Radio, iTunes Radio. And wherever podcasts are found, and tell your friends and family about it. Today, I'm going to try to be a little bit more academic, less less uh, goof off, just because you know uh, people are getting a little, little crazy about this this pandemic, and they're starting to really get nervous not only about their healths but about their lives and and how they're going to make ends meet. I want to say this: <clears throat> I think. From what I have seen, from what I have read thus far, and from the new reports coming out, that this is not as uh, dangerous, as pathologic, as infectious, and as deadly as it has been made out to be. Uh, I, I won't say that it's been done that way because of for political means or, at all. I don't believe that's the reason behind it. In fact, I think just... People are being safe than sorry. And and it's better to ramp up safety measures uh, and then and then slacken or relax on them once we see an effective uh, grip on the on the virus. And, you know, what they keep saying with well, a flattening of that curve so that you don't see a, a, such a steep incline in patients that are getting it. And ideally, patients that aren't becoming more serious, having lasting respiratory effects and Worst of all, dying from it. From what I can tell so far, um, 
and the patients that I've picked up and the people that have it and from other stories and so forth. It's, yes, it is bad if you get it and it reacts in your body because of other comorbid factors of other things inside your and your health that are going to make it worse on you. Uh, but what is actually kind of uplifting to see and hear is that many people have it. Uh, many people are testing positive and are showing no signs of it. And it's usually those people are someone that came into contact with someone that definitely had coronavirus and was showing signs and symptoms. And they're much more serious. There may be family members of people that are hospitalized. They, too, are now testing positive and have very minor uh, symptoms, very minor signs and symptoms, if any at all. And so from some of the studies that I'm going to talk about today, we're going to see, or I'm going to try and posit the idea that uh, we're not in the midst of a world-crippling pandemic and that things may get back on track. We might get out of our quarantine, which we're in the U.S. currently in, uh, we might get back on it sooner than later. And that might be for good, rational decision-making, not, not because we're, we're so worried that the, the infrastructure of the world is going to collapse upon itself. So we're going to talk about that. And I also want to just kind of go over what the hell this is. What, what, is, what is the coronavirus, you know, and, and is it anything new? Is it something that we haven't seen before in the, in the scale of things? Is it the type of virus that has decimated the populations in, in the time before? Um, and, and what are we dealing with? So <clears throat> now remember, uh, yeah, I am a medical uh, emergency caregiver. I'm in no means an epidemiologist uh, or a pandemiologist or uh, a microbiologist at all. So this is, this is, this is a paramedic's take on what I'm reading in medical journals, what I have uh, gleaned from other medical scholars and professors that um, that I'm going to distill even further for your ears and edification. And I hope that it's informative enough. Also, I hope that it's, uh, in, it's digestible enough so that it's not too over the top. So that's, the, that's where I'm going with this. So if you are an epi epidemiologist out there, just bit, cut me some slack, Jack. I'm not talking to you. If you do have some things to say to me, remember, you can always contact me at traumedypodcast at gmail.com, also the Traumedy Podcast page on Facebook, and I'd be happy to illuminate any further information you have that you give to me in a next upcoming podcast when we, when we meet up next week, uh, and, I, and I'd love to keep the, the boards going on the web page on Facebook and, uh, you know, just let's keep this community going. What else you got to do? You're sitting at home. You're doing nothing. You're working, you know, quarantining out. How many, how many jigsaw puzzles can you do? How many Legos can you put together? Uh, you know, you got to find something to do. Get on the old Facebook and rant at me and I'll rant back and it'll be a beautiful little community of rantation. So uh, that's what we're going to talk about, just those things and just how to stay very, um, stay, stay, stay uplifted. By the way, if anything, if we get a call right now, I'm going to have to shut this thing down. So that's just the way it goes. You know, this is, this is the life of a firefighter. If something pops, then I got to, then I got to stop. Bottom line. 
But um, like like I was saying, let's let's break down what this is, what's going on in the world, what kind of results we're seeing from quarantining, and what can we look forward to in the next two to three weeks to to a month, which I don't see it going longer than that, to be honest, people. But I'll tell you why. It's not just that I'm I'm not definitely uh, I'm definitely not an optimist on most things. I'm pretty. I, I my my. My mind won't let me be. The pessimistic side of me goes, oh, yeah, once you think that, guess what? It's going to go the other way, dude. So I, I do think I'm looking at this with rational eyes, though. So looking up what coronavirus is, okay? So coronavirus is a type of virus. There are different types of viruses that attack their hosts differently. Um, the coronaviruses... If you look at them in an electron microscope, those pictures they're showing you, those may be newer electron microscopes. They may be an actual enhanced colored imagery that an electron microscope can take nowadays. Uh, initially, when people were imaging these, these coronavirus cells, I guess you could call them, you would see kind of this little halo speckling around them. But the reasoning is because you're seeing these three-dimensional shapes in a two-dimensional plane. And so if you look at them, you see this kind of halo around them. It's because they have these, they have these little armatures that have little, little endings on stalks that go all the way around them. It's like the image you've seen. So it looks as though there's a halo or a corona around those, uh, those cells. <clears throat> And it's not the first time we've come into contact with coronaviruses by any means, even yourselves. In fact, that's also one of the big uh, leading things that people are realizing is that you, you may not, not even just this kind of coronavirus, uh, you've probably been exposed to other types of coronaviruses. So, so, so even though they're saying this is the novel coronavirus, they're only saying that because it is a new type of coronavirus. So it's the class, you know, the class that it's in is a, is a corona. I believe it's like a corona vesiculae virus. Um, but uh, <clears throat> let me get to that now. Where did you go, you bastard? Um, and, and it's a corona viridae. Viridae, yeah. Corona viridae on the basis of the crown or halo-like appearance given by the glycoprotein studded envelope on the electron microscopy. So when you look at these things, you see this kind of little halo studded thing, but in those images that you're seeing now, you're seeing the 3D image of them, okay. So they predominantly, for the ones that we've come across in the last, mm, I wanna say 20, 20 years, 20 years basically, maybe 24 years. Um, the book that I was reading actually was uh, it's, it was written in 1996, which I thought, go back and see this without the hype. Read through what they say about coronaviruses. And uh, a coronaviri? Coronaviri. What, what are you, types of virus? Viri. Um, my brother's name is Rai Rai. Um, <laughs> this is, sometimes I got to just, I got to just you know, go with it, man. Just, just wherever word association uh, so, so with these things, coronaviruses, we saw them in the early 2000s. MERS um, and SARS were both coronavirus types, South Asian res uh, Respiratory Syndrome and uh, Mediterranean or Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome. 
Same type of thing. They're attacking the respiratory system. And just like those other coronaviri, this new novel, the new one that we're dealing with, the one that we were calling a Chinese virus, but now we can't call it that. Um, what are we calling? We're calling it the uh, COVID-19. COVID-19. Let's just go with that. Uh, this one also is attacking the respiratory system in, in large part. But there are some cases where this can migrate to the gastrointestinal tract and you can get diarrhea, gastric discomfort, etc. The one that we're most concerned with in this case appears to be the respiratory compromise that it causes. So how does this work? Well, okay. So imagine that little ball with all the little stickum things on them. It, you inhale that and it gets predominantly stuck to the mucous membrane in your nose, in your nasal passages, in your throat, and in places where you can't <clears throat> and get it out. Uh, and as it sits in there and festers, it begins to grow. As it grows, um, it starts to irritate those areas. It starts to cause, um, and what it does, it largely attacks. Now, if, if, you, if you know anything about your microbiology, um, <clears throat> if you looked at different types of cells, obviously your body has nerve cells, it's got skin cells, it's got liver cells, you know, to, to name a few of my favorite ones. Um, and each one of those has a different specification. They do different things. For instance, nerve cells, you've maybe heard like they don't, they don't actually regenerate. So they've always said, if you drink yourself to oblivion, like you'll never get back all those millions of cells that you killed. Um, by and large, that's correct. But there are other cells that grow extremely fast and, um, and they multiply fast and they, you know, it's because their, their lifespan is very short. Some of those cells usually are all these cells that coat the linings of the body where it comes into contact with the outside environment. Okay. Does that make sense? So wherever, not, not basically in the, um, not the bone, right, but more like the throat, the, the sinuses, um, the esophagus, and the trachea, where you're taking in air, and you're taking in dust, and you're taking in food, and the food's passing down the esophagus and going to the stomach. And all of those cells that run into that food, they get damaged very easily. Think about you're chewing and chewing and chewing on food. You eat pizza. You burn the roof of your mouth, and it takes a couple of days before that pain goes away, before you feel those little, those little silk wisps inside the roof of your, your mouth to finally go away and the pain to go away. Well, that's in large part due to the fact that those cells that are growing there slough off so fast and new ones come back so that you're, you're literally, they're not damaged anymore because they're dead and gone and now you're, you have brand new cells. Interesting to note that cell growth uh, also, in terms of cancer, you know, the side note on this is I'm always thinking about cancer. The rate at which cells naturally grow also dictates the rate at which, if they were to become a cancerous cell, how rapidly they would grow. So does that make sense? So in other words, I always think about the olfactory nerve that I had that had cancer on it. How long was that in there, right? How long had that been growing? Was it a matter of months or was it a matter of years? And because nerve cells don't grow very fast, well, neither did the tumor. 
But if you have something like skin cancer, stomach cancer, bladder cancer, where those, uh, all of those epithelial cells, those cells on the outer layer, are, are multiplying, uh, you're also going to have a fast-growing cancer. Guess what? Going to have to put it on pause for just a minute. Hi, back, back, and uh, isn't time a funny thing, you know, in the midst of just a few seconds? We're right back on, on track here, but uh, I've been out there just doing the Lord's work, you know what I mean? Not to brag. I'm not. I'm just saving people's lives. That's what I do well. Um, in all seriousness, yeah. So what were we talking about? We, um, uh, we were saying, I was talking, I was on a side note about cancer. Okay, so the cells, the epithelial cells that coat, in this case for the coronavirus, the, the epithelial cells, the out, outer cells of the mucus uh, of, your, of your nasal passages, of your throat, and the ones that line your throat down into your lower airway, that being the larynx and the bronchial, uh, right and left bronchus, down to the bronchi and the bronchioles, and all the way down to the alveoli, all the, the innermost layer of cell. Those are called epithelial cells, and and some of those cells uh, you, you've heard like they have cilia on them. There's like little little arms, little wispy arms, and they, by like peristalsis, they're what clear your airway when you, you, you fill up with mucus or or you know something that's in there, dust. The the little cell cilia, thank you, on the epithelial cells is what kind of swims. Um, gets out all that junk that's inside there. But what the uh, coronaviruses and rhinoviruses, which are kind of the same um, thing, obviously viruses that attack rhino is attacking the nose. Um, But let's see. So typically they cause mild upper respiratory infection. Little, Little do we know, you know, in this case, this one is a little bit more potent, right? A little bit more virulent than the average coronaviruses. But... Believe it or not, you've been exposed to many, many types of these viruses. In fact, one of the leading theories on why children aren't getting sick, as sick as adults are, is that um, just by normal sandbox play and, uh, you know, in the dirt, it seems startling, but it still does happen with kids, uh, that they're, they're in the ground, they're playing with stuff, they're already infecting themselves with other friends. They've probably gotten some kind of coronavirus or multiple coronaviruses similar to this. And so they've already built up a partial or full immunity to it. So uh, it's not affecting them as much as it is us, a sanitary uh, people that uh, have more than one medical problem wrong with us. And that, those are the, that's the group of people that it's really hitting. So uh, I'll get into that in just a minute. Let's talk about, so like, like I said, what, what the, what's going on here is... <clears throat> um, so usually the transmission is, again, this is from microbiology is what I'm reading this fourth edition. So, quote, transmission is usually via airborne droplets to the nasal mucosa. The virus replicates locally in cells of the ciliated epithelium, those ciliated cells that I was talking about, causing cell damage and inflammation. And so what happens if you remember your cell, you got that membrane and then inside it are all those little organelles like the mitochondria, the nucleus, the reticulated, uh, what was that thing? Oh man, come on, come on. Uh, anyway, you have rhizomes, ribosomes, all those things that are inside there, they're encased in a cell membrane. When this, this uh, virus attacks the body or attacks those individual cells, 
it busts that cell membrane. And it, what it ends up doing, it's trying to get to the nucleus because in the nucleus has DNA. And boys and girls, if you don't know about how a virus works, is it doesn't have the ability to make it another of itself. It can't replicate. So what it does is it literally invades a body cell, injects its RNA, its DNA, its version of DNA, into the cell nucleus, and then our bodies take that RNA and start reproducing that virus. It's insidious, um, and it's fascinating all at the same time. Really, it truly is, because there's theories, and you know, in some classifications, viruses aren't necessarily alive. They don't have a nucleus. They don't have the ability. So what do you consider alive? Can it replicate itself? Well, yes and no. It requires a host to multiply. Sorry. Nevertheless, it invades the uh, nasal mucosa, and it attacks those ciliated epithelia. And it causes cell damage and inflammation. So what happens is when it breaks the cell wall, the cell membrane, I can't call it the cell wall, but it's that, that membrane around the cell. When those burst, well, all of the organelles inside it and, and the cytoplasm, the fluid inside that cell bursts. And that's usually if you see blistering, uh, what you're seeing, that's the fluid. That's the vi- the. Uh, the, the, the fluid that you're seeing there inside that blister is usually damaged billion, millions of cells, not billions, but millions of cells that have burst and they're just kind of swelling below the skin surface. And in this case, that's why we're getting some of that inflammation where it causes cell damage and then it causes those, that area to become inflamed. So imagine all of those nice cells growing in your nose and now as it goes in and it attacks those cells, the, the, all of the that flooding, the bursting of the membrane, and it starts to fill up all the tissues around the nose. So you you get <coughs> you get stuffy. Uh, and the appearance of antibodies in serum and nasal secretions is followed by the resolution of the infection, usually uh, within a year or two. So depending on the type of uh, strain, you can develop a full immunity probably within a year. But you're attacking this thing, so. Once the body recognizes that there is an intruder, your body starts to activate white blood cells. White blood cells attack those cells that are damaged or the ones that are replicating the virus. Or if it can, it'll attack the virus itself. And it does it by some of those um, uh, white blood cells. They'll they'll surround it. You can see the membrane enclose and like encircle whatever the whatever the, the, the intruder cell is. And it just kind of goes in and bursts it by using usually like a high uh, hydroxy. It'll use an alkali chemical and it'll destroy the cell wall, the membrane, and, and it'll eat it. It's called phag- phagocytosis. Um, that's one way of doing it. Another way is the cells, white blood cells, will go and find that cell that they don't like and inject it with a chemical and cause that to burst. So, and then what ends up happening is eventually your body recognizes or, you know, can can tell by the type of RNA sequence what type of cell that is, and it says, we're not letting this thing in anymore, and creates what are called antibodies. Okay, so usually creating antibodies to the point where it can ha- you can have a full immunity may take up to a year. And when we are attacking viruses, you say, unless that virus is mutated, um, you can't get that virus twice. And there's a couple things to think about with this virus. So... So that's why we may have already 
in our systems a partial immunity to this type of virus, to these coronaviruses. And so that's why if you've had that, maybe you're not even showing signs of anything right now. Maybe you have it. And maybe you had it and you thought, "Hmm, you know, I just had, it's a cold. It's a mild cold. Well, either it didn't affect you, either it wasn't coronavirus, or it was, and it didn't affect you in the way that it would affect some people, or um, you had already been exposed to something and your body fought it off like nothing, or you have been exposed and you had zero signs and symptoms. So you remember a couple of months ago when I was dealing with a horrendous pneumonia? How many people about six weeks to a month ago had some kind of respiratory thing going on that kicked their butts? There were I, dozens that I knew of at work and at home. My, you know, my brother had it. Uh, kids had it. Not as bad as I did. But I've never been floored like I had this New Year's through January and February. It, it rocked me. And, um, yeah, I, I did test positive for, uh, um, what do you call it? Well, pneumonia, but pseudomonas and staph. But what is likely to happen when you have maybe coronavirus is your body's immune system is attacking it. It depletes itself and it opens the door for bacteria as well which is one of the leading reasons why when we're looking at the treatment for this, Zithromax, a Z-Pak, which is an antibiotic, is having success attacking the virus. Perhaps it's attacking the bacterial co-infection that is potential in coronavirus. Uh, more on that in a minute. So typically with most of these uh, coronaviruses, They don't have the type of damage that this one is having. But it may not necessarily be the case with this because the way that we've been, and it goes back to what I was just talking about, the way that we've been, um, we've been getting information on it, the way that we've been detailing and, and, and enumerating on how many people have it. And of those people, how many of them are serious and of those serious, how many actually die there's a fault in our logic, okay? So, <clears throat> and, and, and there are, it's not just me coming up with this. In fact, there's a couple of people that I'll talk about in a minute that have been studying Stanford professors. Uh, there's a professor from, I believe, Princeton that, or Oxford um, that also is, is, is saying in support that, uh, that this is not as serious as we have made it out to be. Not, not as, I shouldn't say serious, not as virulent as as uh, as a pandemic or as uh, Armageddonish as we've been planning it out to be. So, uh, and, and and let's see why it comes down to basically these ideas that we have possibly within the last couple of months all been exposed to this, or a much larger swath of the population has been exposed. Our body created antibodies. And many of us perhaps didn't even know we had it. So the ones it's really affecting, as you remember from the last podcast, are elderly because their immune systems are depleted. Elderly that are obese, that's another comorbid factor. Any, anyone that has a preexisting respiratory or immune compromise, so someone who has congestive, uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, C, uh, or 
uh, congestive heart failure, you know, um, people that smoke, people that are on home oxygen, people that are old that have pneumonia, uh, any reason that they have some kind of respiratory damage prior to getting this are going to do much worse than someone with a healthy respiratory system. Also, someone who's got a peak immune system is going to have a much more efficient ability to fight this off. So I I know there's been very, very little death in my age group. I believe, from what I've heard thus far, zero in the age group of uh, from infant to teenage years, 18, zero, zero pediatric deaths, zero young adult deaths. That's insane because that's never the case with these kind of pandemics. Any kind of big flus, like the Spanish flu of 1918, can't call it Spanish flu. So uh, we can't ascribe it to countries, right? Right anymore, guys? Because that's uh, very important. So, um, yeah, so the, the flu of 1918 killed young and it killed old, and that's that. So this one, you're just seeing it in the old. Um, and that's, the, that's a very unique situation here. Guess what? Oh, it's not for me. <laughs> Hang on a second. Just going to double check. Just going to double check. Okay. Okay. Oh, right. So back to it. Sorry. That was not for me. That was just an alarm going off. So back to this study here. So <clears throat> sorry. And, and I know it's a bit disjointed. I hope that doesn't bother you. Just we're going at the spur of the moment. We're doing this in real time. And I'm cutting out the chaff, so enjoy. But getting back to why this might be an in, in 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 inaccurate and uh, overhyped number. Um, it's not due to anybody trying to inflate it. Let's take the benefit of the doubt and say it's not the news media trying to cover this and scare the world into staying home and watching TV and, and thus boosting ratings. Let's not say it's about that. Let's Let's say again that it's, We're concerned about the world's health, really and truly. And isn't it better to be overcautious rather than undercautious? So that has been the way that we've approached it. And that's why we've been quarantined. And that's why most countries around the world are going into worldwide quarantines with minor variations on, on, on how to do it and who should be in quarantine. So there, there, um, at Stanford, several, Professors have been studying this. They've been making prediction models on what we should expect to see and what we are seeing right now based on certain numbers. And that being, um, you know, how many people have come into the hospital? How many people have tested positive of those people? How many people are getting seriously ill and how many people are dying? Well, it excludes an entire population of people, that being those who never went to the hospital to get checked. Nobody who ever had signs and symptoms of anything serious and thus didn't have to go to the hospital and get checked. So there is an entire percentage of the population that is probably going to be just fine, right? So we've been talking about these numbers of, you know, it's got a 3.2 to 3.6 infection ability, meaning, you know, for every 0.01 person or 0.1 person that the average cold, cold and flu infects that I can pass it along to, I could pass it on to now, you know, 3.6 times that amount of people, which means it has a high spread rate, right? And then also that of those people, 
around those same numbers, that per- percentage points, are the people that are dying from it. 3% of the people uh, are, are the ones, or even in some city, ca- countries rather, 8% death rate among those that have been infected. That's people like Italy and Spain that we're seeing now, as well as China. Well, Dr. Michael Levitt, He's a Stanford professor, did a study on this, did a, did a model of its infection model, and this was back in February, stated this. He said China would have, in total, approximately 80,000 cases of uh, corona, of, of COVID-19. And of those 80,000, approximately 3,250 of them would die. Well, lo and behold, based on those numbers, China has come up with officially saying there was 81,588 cases in the country. And of those, of those infected that they tested, 3,281 died. Okay? Much larger percent than 8% of the people infected will die. Okay? So this, this guy, Michael Levitt, knows what he's talking about. There's also several or, or two other Stanford professors with similar models that support this ratio. Uh, People are not getting checked. And so that number of people, 8% of people dying is probably much, much, much lower. In fact, from another study by uh, Professor Gupte at Oxford, she's a theoretical epidemiologist, she says, quote, fewer than one in 1,000 infected will become ill enough to need hospital treatment, end quote. So, so not even one in 1,000 are even going to the hospital. In fact, don't even know they have it or didn't think it validated going in to see a doctor. So they've had it. They develop immunity. They move on. That makes the number drop from, if this is the case, and the new numbers are coming through, all the people that have it, that are being tested, and of the actual deaths that are happening. But this new idea that perhaps many people have it or have had it, and as soon as we're able to test for antibodies, we'll be able to check this. But it drops the number of those actually dying from something of 8% down to 0.06%. Okay, so just think about that. We just dropped from 8 out of 100 would die to not even one in a hundred are going to die. And in some places I've even heard them saying it's 0.01% of the people that are exposed and contract coronavirus, the novel corona, will die of it. Okay? So that's a much, much more reassuring number. So if you're out there and you're sitting in your house and you're quarantined and you're scared and you don't want to go outside, I understand. I understand. Have you been sick in the last six weeks? Because you may have already had it. And we won't be able to tell and, and for some time now. But w- when you do, go ahead and you can get tested and be reassured. In the meantime, stay indoors, but don't be scared. You know, go out and get your fresh air. Don't go and hang out with people. Don't, don't do it. This is a small little um, request that the world is putting out. It's a test to see if you have the discipline and you have the resolution to stay at home, maybe to find some things to do around the house, maybe do some stuff with your family, and wait it out. Because it seems like if you can do this, when we have a serious, a serious, serious pandemic that comes through, like um, 
Well, the bubonic plague, they say, was, or, um, yeah, bubonic plague, they, they attribute that to, like, a, a, a spread rate of 17 to 18. This one, at worst, is a 3.6, okay? So we're nowhere near black plague numbers and severity. So just relax. The uh, 1918 influenza uh, was like a 7 to 8% um, contractability rate or, or number. So so this is a practice test. Keep it in mind and, and realize if you're getting scared out there, you relax, relax. Right now, um, you're doing the best thing for not just yourselves and your family, but for the world in general. And if we can let this thing taper off, kill itself, uh, let the people kill it off in their bodies, then by the time that you reemerge from your cave, you're not even going to have to deal with that. Even if you got it once you came out, chances are you're not even going to know. You're not even going to know that you had it. But here's the good thing to keep in mind. Uh, you know, and I keep thinking this. Well, that may be the case. It may be a lot, uh, many, 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 many fewer of us get it. That doesn't change the fact that there are people bombarding hospitals right now. And there's a need right now for hospital crew, for equipment, for all that stuff. I mean, it's obvious. We need to get it out there. There's still an, there's still an emergency at hand. It's not like you can look at those thousands of people that have it and go, hey, hey, just so you know, um, a whole other percentage of the population isn't getting what you guys have. Not as serious as, as you're getting it. Like, what does that do for them, right? They're like, well, that's great to know. But um, meanwhile, I can't breathe. So you, you, have to, you have to keep in mind that we still have an emergency at hand. We're still trying to get together manpower, um, rescuers, care, and equipment. So we're down N95s. We're down respirators. We're down crew. We're down gowns. And um, we're down hospital beds. So here's the thing. If you don't need to go to the hospital, don't. If you can take care of your emergencies, take care of them. It's definitely up to the ears in a hospital. And if you're really concerned about this virus, right, stay at home. And by all means, don't go to the hospital. Don't go to the hospital. You, don't, you, you, you only stand to contract something if you go to the hospital. Unless it is life or death and you cannot breathe or you are unconscious or you've overdosed on something or whatever it is, you broke your back or you got a femur fracture, stroke, heart attack, don't go. Stay at home. If you feel, you know, if you're feeling tired or anxious about this, good. Best place for you is staying at home. If your family member's feeling that way, comfort them. Take care of them. Okay. That's really the key because the way this is panning out, it's looking as though, you know, and what Trump's saying at this point is he's saying, I hope that we get out of this by Easter. That would be a good day to restart. That's about two and a half weeks out. That's a much more optimistic, higher number, uh, less, less amount of time than we had thought. And I got to hand it to him. The guy, is, the guy is a brilliant little tactician thinking, Oh, what a perfect day to come out of hibernation, to come out of quarantine on the day of resurrection, on the day of family members coming together for Easter or Passover, on, on the day of rebirth and spring and saying that's going to be the day that we all can come out and finally go back to work and celebrate and be, you know, um, 
have the knowledge of what it means to have a family and togetherness and love and we and and success and defeating this virus. Uh, that's God, the guys, you got the guys good at the stuff that like that. And, um, I will say this, um, isn't it a little bit easier to, if you have that goal, that end site, that end date in mind, can you now, instead of sitting there going, well, I don't even know when I'm going to get out. You start, that starts going through your craw and you start getting stir crazy. Just, well, I can't even get out. I mean, I don't even know how long I'm going to be like this. Like how long am I going to get out of work? How long am I going to be with my kids? They're not going to school. They're not getting to graduate. What's going to happen in the future? All right. Now we got an end date. We got a goal to strive for two and a half weeks from now. You can make it 16 days. Come on now. You can do it. It's right there. So set your pace for two and a half weeks from now and, you know, breathe. I think it'll be, I think we're going to, we're already being pleasantly surprised. And I think this really is, I hate to say it like this, but this is a, this is a test. Um, this is a pre-run to see how we do when we try to mobilize and when we try to quarantine and when we try to take worldwide measures in order to have a single purpose, a single result. So maybe we'll need this for some kind of war. Maybe we're going to need this for a, a larger epidemic or pandemic, perhaps radio, you know, radiologic issues in the future. Maybe an alien invasion. You know, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But it's one of those first world consciousnesses that we've, I've experienced in my life. I mean, you know, we always said 9-11 was one of those things where it was like the country united. Well, let's, this is something that has reached the breadth of the world. So let's see how we do interacting with each other on one common goal, on one issue. It's to, to keep us safe, to shut this thing out, to snuff it, and to come out on top. At the end. And what are we being required to do? Don't panic. Don't take everybody else's grocery supplies from the market. Don't think of you first. Think of we, not me. Try and try and realize that this is a practice, right? That everything is going to be fine. There is an end site. And take care of your, your fellow man, bro. What are you doing? Knock on the neighbor's window and go, hey, I'm not going to come in, but do you need anything? I'm telling you, when we come out of this, that kind of thinking will have made us better. Um, we can only stand to win from this. I, I seriously believe that. Uh, so, so, so keep that in mind. We got a goal in sight here. Calm, calm yourselves. Look out for each other. And and what what else are they asking us? Stay inside. Don't go and fraternize with people, right? Let's kill it where it lives. Kill it at home. Don't go and socialize and spread this thing. Let it die off. Let it run its course. And don't steal from other people. That's about it. You know, it's not like India. They can't even go out. I don't understand. They're going to shut down an entire country of like a billion plus people where they don't even have groceries. They can't even go to a grocery store. I mean, we got it good, people. Relax. And for those of you that happen to be listening from India, my heart goes out to you. Contact me for sure. Uh, and let me know how you're doing this. So that's, that's the goal here. If, 
if we can get this thing going, if we can get this started back up by Easter and then we get this economy rolling again, you're going to be back in funds. Your kids are going to be back in school. We'll be back on the same move, on the same momentum. What we won't have is the animosity. If, if We won't get that, that, that togetherness if we screw this up, if we, if we think of ourselves first other than our neighbors. Because that's going to be remembered. They're going to be like, I remember what you did when the chips were down. You know, so don't be that person. Be the one that want that helps the other ones because they're gonna, you're gonna see, it's not as big as an emergency as you uh, had thought it was, and you're really right now learning how to deal with yourself in a period of stress. Right, I'm learning how to deal with stress. I we've as caregivers had have had plenty of practice with this. You know, going into fires, being on resuscitations, and. Being on chaos, regular, regular job-related, everyday life-and-death chaos, right? And when you first experience, you, you sweat, you stammer, you don't know what you're doing, but eventually you just learn how to take the stress in stride. For many of you, it's the first time to deal with it. So I, I would say just understand it's normal, it's hard, but you're getting through it. Don't let it get the best of you, you know? Get the thing done. You learn how to take care of others, take care of you, and that'll help you take care of yourself. And really, that's about it. That's it. You're not going to get, you're, 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 the one who's listening right now, you're not going to get sick. I'm telling you. And so, and with that in mind, be the person that you wish you were during the apocalypse. Be that person. All right. That's all. I got to get back to, the, to doing some other stuff here and making sure that I'm clean. And um, I don't want to keep getting interrupted. So if you enjoyed this podcast, remember to write to me at traumedypodcast at gmail.com with any information, any comments you have. Also look at the web page or, or excuse me, the Facebook page, the, the Traumedy Podcast Facebook page and uh, pipe up. Let me hear what you have to say. Love you very much. Uh, if you got it, use it. Take care.